Hey everyone, it is Harmon, and welcome to Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. And I know what you're thinking, you've been off for a while, we haven't heard from you. Well, I got some good news, we have a Comedy History 101 Select today, a reprise on our episode on the history of Mr. Bill with Walter Williams, who created the iconic character that was one of the most popular characters in SNL history during the early years. Yes, it's a Comedy History 101 Select, but we are going to be back very soon with some brand new episodes. But before we jump into the episode, a few things to plug. On Friday, February 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Red Room, above the KGB bar in the Lower East Side, I'll be presenting my show, Tale, NYC's Finest Storytelling. And that's always a murderer's row of storytellers on the bill. So if you're in the New York area, come and check that out. And on March 8th, 7 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater, I'll be presenting my show, AI versus human roast battle. Yes, come out and see a human comedian take on a machine learning AI in a comedy roast battle of tomorrow. But it's today, or it's March 8th, which is a Friday at 7 p.m. <laughs> and again, today's episode is a CH101 select on the history of Mr. Bill with Walter Williams. And without further ado. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. I'm trying to use the phone. Excuse me. Comedy History 101. Hey kids, it's me, Mr. Bill. And I hope you're ready to have fun today because we're all going camping. Ready to set up the camp, Mr. Bill? Oh, no! Help me put up the tent, Mr. Bill. Here, you hold the tent stake while I hammer it into the ground. Okay, but be careful. Oh, no! When Mr. Bill first got submitted to SNL, it was just sort of an open call. I saw a clip with Dan Aykroyd just That's kind right. of announcing, play, no pay. Hi, my name's Danny. What's yours? <laughs> About home movies. You send them in, we'll play them. No pay, just play. Uh, the whole movie this week is by Walter Williams. Yeah, we'll play no pay. I did that for a few years, too. In fact, I never really got paid until I got on staff on the fourth season. But the first three seasons, actually, the first Mr. Bill was on the very first season. I was, I was in New Orleans. I had a comedy show, like a little live presentation of films and skits and all this stuff. Saturday Night Live came on and someone said, hey, they have this home movie contest. So I sent a reel of my films and my Super 8s and they picked Mr. Bill out the reel. And uh, I called them, hey, did you get my reel of films? Yeah, we're gonna put we're gonna put it on this week. I said, wow. And uh, of course it was, a, it was a Mardi Gras weekend in New Orleans and they actually preempted Saturday Night Live for the Mardi Gras parade. But I, I knew that in advance, so, but I was able to go to the studio and I saw the feed and it was on. 
Uh, no one believed me the next week. Yeah, you're just saying that because it, was, it wasn't on. So they finally re-ran the show and then they believed me. So just in your hometown, they preempted it. In New Orleans for the Mardi Gras parade. Yeah, they pretty big down there. SNL wasn't at the time. It, it was picking up, you know, it was popular. But yes, yeah, so I got to be there at the, at the studio feed and that was very exciting. And what else was on your reel that you submitted? Or was it just Mr. Bill? They were all comedy shorts. It, Mr. Bill was the only like bad animation joke skit. Now, the others were like Sky Devils of World War II. The joke was loose lips sink ships. I have wax lips and they drop and a little boat sinks. So I was using props and things. And I did the modern football, the MFL, the modern football league. I did a Timer X. It was like Timex commercial, but they, they get a homeless person and he swallows the watch and they beat him up and the this is dating. No one will know what Timex commercials were. You know, that kind of stuff. Little skits, but all all in Super 8 film style. Mr. Bill, though, was the only one like the bad animation. And the fact it was just like the animation's so bad, you can see the hands moving the thing around. And then I said, yeah, maybe the hands could drop the character. And before you know it, I was at Woolworths buying Play-Doh. Was this part of like a live comedy show that you're doing that you would also show movies? That's right. Some of the film pieces were coming into a, a building or something and then from there entering the stage so sometimes part film set up and part live but then some were just like mr bill i showed that i had that in the can in fact i shot all those films like in 1973 so this is a 50 years ago i sent them out to los angeles to get film stripe put on it in order to do the audio and they were lost in the mail the i i called the lab did you get the films no i called next week did you get the no. post office doesn't know anything so literally months went by and i assumed all the films i had made were gone and then one day i, I look out my out the window and i see a, a U, ups truck show up and comes out with a box and it was the films and the strike films and everything. They, there was a miscommunication, I guess. And then I added the audio. So I guess that, that was in 1974 when I finally got the films back, added the audio. So I guess Mr. Bill really finished in 1974 was the first complete film. I'm trying to use the When you were a kid, what was like your comedy influences? My comedy roots as a kid, uh, well, actually, way back, it's Ed Sullivan's show. Jackie Vernon, Jackie Mason, a lot of Jackies back then. And of course, that's where I first saw George Carlin and the Muppets were on. Jim Henson was all the way back then on the Ed Sullivan. Then it went into like Albert Brooks and Woody Allen. Once I saw Bananas, that might still be my favorite funny film. Yeah, Robert Klein, Firesign Theater, Lampoon, of course. Fortunately, I didn't have an aptitude for anything back then, so I, I went into comedy. I had a friend, I worked on a, a movie that my sister was dating this guy who was doing his own feature film in, in New Orleans, and so I got to work on it, and that kind of showed me the whole, how films are shot out of sequence, and some days, you know, you, you shoot something, and then it would edit to something he shot a year later, and then I, I kind of, that was my training in film. And then he actually loaned me the Super 8 film that I filmed that Mr. Bill and the others on. So I was a teenager, nothing better to do. I had no real backup plan. So off to New York eventually. You were a teenager at the time you submitted the film? That's right. No. It was Vance DeGeneres. Was he in your comedy troupe or how did you know him? Yeah, he was in some of the films. He played Mr. Hands in the first film. Everyone I knew was, everyone was in the films. I was a night watchman at the time, actually. I'd write and edit my films at night and then shoot in the day. And I kind of really got on a, a whirlwind. 
like hypothetically, if I were a space alien, and this is hypothetical, mm, you sure it's hypothetical in air quotes. Okay. How how would you describe a typical Mr. Bill episode? Well, I started the first one. It was going to be a surprise. So I kind of based it off a, like a parody of a kid's show with a host and welcome to the show. And then everything terrible starts happening. But I wanted to prolong the uh, before I started torturing him. So that's why I invented Spot, his dogs. I figured I'd do something to the dog first, you know, just delay it a little bit. Because once you start this manly Mr. Bill, you got to kind of go the whole distance. So basically, as a theme, we're going to do something today. We're going to go to the circus. We're going to, you know, build a house. And it became a formula. I didn't really intend to do it more than the first one. They said, you have any more of these? I'm sure. And then I made another one. And, and then before you know it, I got on staff eventually. What was like the reaction? Was it like a immediate reaction after that first time it got shown? Oh yeah. Well, it started off. I could. I, I did. I did see the uh, the feed at the studio, and, and it started off as like this kind of corny, badly made film. You could hear the groans in the audience, like, "Oh, this is really." But as soon as uh, Spot got squished, big laugh, and then from the, then on to the end of the film, it was like sounded like a kind of a laugh riot. It still took a couple of years to get on staff. I kept making them and submitting them in that little disclaimer at least because of no pay we'll play no pay i was able to hold on to the ownership so when i got on staff i was able to keep control of the films and the characters all that kind of stuff and then so the second one came out at the end of the first season kind of bookending the first season it may have been the second season i, I gotta i'd have to check my notes a second season <laughs> yeah and then they had a couple on the third season mr bill goes to the circus and mr bill pays his taxes and that's when um, I finally got a meeting with Lorne, Lorne Michaels. And he says, I want you to, next year, I, I want you to make 10 of these. I said, can you trust me to do that? And he said, no, but if, if it works, you'll be a hero and I'll be a hero. So we shook hands. He kind of just let me go with it. You know, he really, he said, I want to read the scripts first and after a while, I said, just do it. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Just do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll cut it yeah, after dress rehearsal. But they all got on. And was that the typical writing process in the early days or was it kind of really, you know, you had to go through the hoops that you have to go through today to get in like a sketch on? Well, I actually got a staff writing job that fourth season too. When I, I finally got an official contract to do the Mr. Bills. I said, you know, Lauren, I, I write all this other stuff too. So he invited me to participate writing the commercial parodies that they're done before the season starts to kind of, since they're filmed, they're kind of the first things that get done. So I wrote, took them out. I wrote a skit that was called Elvis Presley's Coat. It was just a coat in concert. The New Jersey Civic Coliseum is proud to present, appearing live for a limited engagement, Elvis Presley's Coat. So he gave me the writing position too. So I had like suddenly two jobs. Yeah, I'd never been paid before to, to do it. And then all of a sudden I got two different jobs. So the staff writing job, a whole different deal. You go there on Monday night and the writers uh, are in Lauren's office and he goes around one by one in order. And what are you working on? And then you tell them some ideas and then he'll say, yeah, I this and that, I like that. And then you go, the ones he liked it, you'd start working on it and then turn into all-nighters on Tuesday nights. Wednesday read-through, they'd read just your script and the ones he liked. That part was long, whereas the Mr. Bill, I'd go back to my place and just do it. And he'd see it in the dress rehearsal and he'd have the choice then. But uh, as I say, they all wound up getting on. So, so every single one got on? Every single one. 
And what was like the typical writing process for Mr. Bill? What's kind of like the nuts and bolts under the hood? Well, I actually wrote the whole, pretty much the whole first season once I got the job. Generally, before I would make it one at a time, I'd come up with a premise and then just kind of flush out the the formula because... So you got Mr. Bill and you've got Sluggo and then Mr. Hands. And so Mr. Hands basically follows the authority's order, like who's Sluggo. So if he's Dr. Sluggo, Dr. Sluggo says, well, that leg's going to have to be removed. And so he's just basically, he's not supposed to be mean to Mr. Bill. As the seasons went on, though, I I started developing the storyline where he's suspicious that Mr. Hands is actually not his his friend. And then he tries to run away, but there's no getting away. So... In fact, uh, that fifth season was all about leaving and starting his own show, but Mr. Hands always still shows up. But anyway, yeah, it was a premise and then coming up with gags, you know, and the setup and payoffs, uh, mainly as many jokes as I could get in based around kind of a theme like going to the circus or something. What was your home set like for filming? Oh, uh, wherever I could brush off and clear a space, you know, it was first, the first one was on a piano bench and then went to, yeah, it was all different places, but I had a little stage and styrofoam and it, it's not very pretty. I was trying to do the best I could. People thought I was trying to do this artistic style. In fact, when I've done commercials since or films, they all want me to purposely shake the camera. I said, no, no, I just had a cheap tripod. I wasn't trying to make it bad. And, I, and, I, and I'm not going to make it bad now. I, keep, I always try to do the best I can. So they actually got a little better quality through the years. And what was like your, on that really was your production budget? My production budget, the first one was, let's see, the Play-Doh, Super 8, Photo Mat. It was about $10. And then eventually, I, once I got on staff, it was more like $1,500. I, I was able to get a little bit of help and assistant and build a few props and stuff like that. I actually met somebody through, actually through Ann Beats. I uh, was doing a book and the art director, Jim Wilson, he and I connected and he's a spectacular props builder. So when the props started looking good, that was when Jim Wilson started building them. Was it Ann Beats book titters that she was working on? First uh, Saturday Night Live book. And then Jim Wilson was the art director on it. And I wound up working with him for decades after that. And how did you celebrate like the the first time when you you found out it was going to be on Saturday Night Live? Or was Saturday Night Live in the lexicon or was it still gaining momentum oh yeah yeah it, it was already really big you know it was i couldn't believe it i can't really remember celebrating ever it was always like now what and once i got the opportunity from lauren i said i, mean, I got you know this is it I, all energy goes to making these things work you know and then i had the staff writing job and then the show ended or at least we all left and then it was like whoa what happened you know it was never a moment where i could sit that i can remember but i learned a lot about filmmaking and i get to make a film and then be in the audience and see how things went over you know and i could learn from that and then try to adjust things on the next shows and and learning the basics of filmmaking because it it's all single camera filmmaking people thought it mr bill's animated or he's there live and in fact when blondie was on the show they wanted to be on mr bill's set when he did his show because they knew it was going to be on and they didn't realize it was all like a made-up super 8 film and he doesn't his lips don't move nothing moves he's just in fact i have one right here like one of his stunt one of his stunt doubles of course, Mr. Bill didn't do his own stunts. Uh, that's one of the early ones I did in Play-Doh. I, I switched to Sculpey, Sculpey 3. So it still kind of has the look of it, but it didn't fall apart when I was shooting it. Like, Play-Doh is a total pain. 
So all the early ones were in Play-Doh, and then you switched to like stunt double bill and yeah, after that, but all the Saturday Night Lives are Play-Doh. That's right. It, it was. I was like, I'd freeze them before the shoot because you know to try to keep them from just crumbling and falling. It was. It, it was. People have tried Mr. Bills before, and, and they and then they realize what a pain this is. But it was fun. As I say, I had no aptitude for anything else. And how would you describe those early days of SNL? Was was it just sort of like, did it feel like the rules were still being written? No, I tell you, when I got there on staff, which was the fourth season, the first three seasons, I would be submitting the films. And uh, so I didn't, I, I'd kind of run into a few of the people outside the show. But when I got there on the fourth season, it seemed pretty organized. In fact, it's kind of difficult to break in with writing because everyone had their own little writing partners. And But yeah, Lauren was there. He'd be there all night. I mean, he was really there. It wasn't like phoning it in or anything. Uh, yeah, I, I assume he's still like that, but I'm amazed he can do it. I have trouble staying up watching it, much less doing it. <laughs> and how, how did it go from, you know, just doing it on your own to suddenly be like in the writer's room? And what was that writer's room like? Well, the, the writer's room, there really wasn't a writer's room. Everyone had offices. So like Frank and Davis had an office, but, and then uh, some people would team up and go to somebody else's office to write something. But the Monday night meeting was, was the meeting for the writers and in Lauren's office. And then, uh, as I said, he'd go around one, one by one and ask what you're working on. And then you're off on your own or, you go work with somebody or I pretty much was on my own because I, I really didn't know what was, I probably actually made mistakes too. Like I remember my first writer's meeting at the end of it, Lauren said, um, and I'd like another E. Buzz Miller. It was an ongoing character, very funny that Danny Aykroyd did. And I didn't know that he was talking to the writers of E. Buzz Miller. I just thought he was telling all the writers E. Buzz Miller. So I wrote an E. Buzz Miller not knowing. And then when it was read, I got kind of, strange feedback and then I, I i realized i was stepping on someone else's character and uh, didn't know it you know so I, there were a lot of rules that i didn't know about i was 19 20 years old you know anyway i did the best i could to fit in you know but i'm sure i've made a lot of mistakes and how, how did it feel when uh like mr bill was rated right up there with belushi and gilda <laughs> as the most beloved character on Saturday Night Live. It was great, but I had to get on to the next one. I said, like, I gotta keep doing this. I got 10 of them. Like, I mean, there was really never a time to kind of relax for a while, which is good. I mean, I I, I really decided I gotta put everything into this. Nothing else really matters at that point. I didn't really have a backup plan. You know, I wasn't, it was a little too late to start med school and stuff like that. So I figured I better, better make this work. It was exciting when the part of the appeal, I think, was people didn't know if it would be on or not, including myself, because it was like the insurance policy. Uh, if the show was running late, it'd be easier to cut a film than show it the next week rather than striking a set and all that kind of stuff. There was a mystery to it. And it would be on at the end of the show if, if it would be on. And when it would come on, I'd be in the studio. Man, the place would light up. The studio would go crazy. And uh, once after... They kind of knew it was coming, or they knew who it was. It was exciting, but once again, it was it was also it was over, and it was like you know what happened, you know. So, but it was good. He was he was kind of he was at his height too when when Lauren decided to call it quits. That's kind of good actually. There's a lot of good memories. So after that, I said, let me just keep those good memories in people's mind by not doing anything bad to ruin it, you know. Or but you know, like every once in a while, an opportunity comes up that makes sense and. I'll 
I'll go buy some more Play-Doh. So was that a bit nerve-wracking to have it on at the end and maybe it would get cut? I heard, I think it was a circumstance with Andy Kaufman maybe going too long. Oh, yeah, that well, that, that was painful. That was a, well, because it was the Christmas special. It was a Christmas show. And I decided I'd like to do a Mr. Bill Christmas special, but I knew if it were cut, you know, that would be it. He couldn't play the Christmas special the next week, you know. So I told Lauren about it and I said, Lauren, we put it on if I make this Christmas special. And he said, yes, do it. You know, you're, you'll, you'll be definitely on the, the show. And I put a lot of work into it, too. It was, it was really one of the more elaborate things I'd done. And that night, Andy Kaufman was on Wrestling the Women. He was had a little period where he was wrestling women, but he uh, kind of went on and on wrestling. He was really into it, but he, he went like five, ten minutes longer. It just went on and on. And I'm sitting in the room and I hear over the, the, the PA system, Mr. Bill Christmas cut, you know, oh, geez. <laughs> so I just kind of like, uh, and it was it didn't make it. I read later in some uh, some book that Lauren went and confronted Andy Kaufman and uh, and his manager and said about going long and he said he, Lauren told him I had to cut the Mr. Bill and, he, and it says Andy Kaufman and his manager burst out in laughter you know it's like like as if they cared and, uh, <laughs> but yeah it was it was it, it, it was nerve wracking in fact uh, when I got on staff I wrote a, a skit called Lauren and and Walter and, and I was going to be on and I keep kind of pestering Lauren he's behind the scenes in the show you think you think it's going to make the thing because my mom would really like to see it and she's in intensive care and they usually have to bring her down to the TV room and unplug her for a while and you know so if, if you think you know, I'll let you know later Walter and but that didn't that didn't get on the show he uh at the end of the read-through he says Walter and Lauren uh, we'll, we'll practice this upstairs and then but he didn't he didn't take it seriously did you get along with Andy Kaufman or was it just kind of like in passing? I, I met him. I love Andy Kaufman, by the way. When I moved to New York after I got the film on, I knew I was going to go to New York or L.A. I realized like, if I'm going to do a career, I can't do it in New Orleans. It's got to be L.A. or New York. And when I got that first film, I said, OK, it's going to be New York. And then I went there and I did stand up at the improv. And at that time, it was very competitive. Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo, Gilbert Gottfried, and Andy Kaufman, all, all the big people. So I rarely got on. And uh, one night, Andy came in, and I decided to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm Walter Williams. I do the Mr. Bill. He just looked at me with the crazy wide eyes and was like, totally in character and then i was supposed to get on early that night like around quarter to 12 and the place was full still I was like, wow i'm gonna have an audience i'm gonna get on but then after i talked to andy he goes and gets up on stage and i'm going on oh, now <laughs> yeah he, uh, he does a skit about drinking chocolate milk and the waitress <laughs> brings it to him and he, he drinks it and stirs and he gets in a sleeping bag and goes to sleep on the stage and everyone's kind of yelling at him, come on. And the people just all, one by one, they just all left. <laughs> but he was determined to, to stay in that sleeping bag until every single person left the club, which they did. And then I was up next, and there was like nobody there. So, <laughs> but I love Andy Kaufman. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. You also uh, wrote a sketch with the Rolling Stones. 
Well, I didn't write it, but I was in a. It was a. It was a skit that they were they were already doing called Dave Mabel's Ex Police or something like that. Suppose he's ex police, and they go they're like vigilantes, and they kind of they go break up crimes, you know. So anyway, I, I was one of the Dave Mabel's uh, ex cops, and uh, so my job was to go up to Keith Richards and pin him against the wall with a bayonet, you know. <laughs> and he's smoking a cigarette. He was laughing his ass off because I did it so well. He was impressed and. Uh, but that skit was cut. Uh, that was my first show, actually, on on staff writing was when the Rolling Stones were the host, and so that was quite a jaded start to things. But yes. they were I actually hung out with them a little bit, Keith Richards, and in fact, there's a picture of Lorne yelling at Belushi in the writers' room, and Keith, all the Rolling Stones are sitting around. Lorne was yelling at him. He stayed out all night with Keith Richards partying the night before the show. But there's a picture of that. I'm sitting in the background and laughing my ass off, and, and Lauren's all pissed, and but it's pretty funny. Did you get along with Belushi really well? Oh, yeah. yeah. Belushi was the greatest. And he, he really liked Mr. Bell. He, in fact, he, he liked the Elvis's coat. Lauren showed it to him in his office, and he just fell on his knees, and he was really very very supportive and nice and then there'd be another party after the official party at his house and he'd invite me over and that's where i hung out with keith richards a little bit he was just great he was the best he's still my favorite of all a sweet guy but obviously he had too much talent you know a lot of those guys but that was a shock and with writers a lot of rivalry was there ever any animosity at the success of mr bill amongst anyone on on the staff I kind of found out later. I, I didn't realize I didn't really have time to pay attention to too much. I was like a Mr. Magoo going from one place to the other. But they did a maybe a 30th anniversary. And then uh, I think it was Lorraine said people were like, why do you keep doing this, Lauren? Why do you keep making this Mr. Bill? Because everyone's I, mean, I don't know. I, I didn't know anything about any of that. So but evidently uh lauren got saw the response and the mr bill got a lot of fan letters and i still got boxes of them the nice thing is they're all written to mr bill not to the guy who makes mr bill which was an important thing to me to keep it mr bill exists and it's his show in fact belushi told me you better put your name on that because you're gonna get ripped off and that i try to keep him as a as a living creature that's off on vacation or something And then uh, years later, I guess in 90s, early 90s, it was like seven in the morning, I get a call. It's, it's Michael O'Donnell. I hadn't talked to him in 10 years, you know. So, Walter, I hear you make films. You know, saying, oh, yeah. But someone had recommended me because he was doing a pilot. Yeah, you know, so I got a call from Mr. Mike, you know, seven in the morning. He's doing a pilot uh, for Fox called TV. And, and someone had recommended me from another show, and he didn't even realize I was doing or alive even you know but i went and met with him and so he hired me to direct this thing it was fantastic just hanging out with him for a couple of months and there were a lot of stars on there like rucker hauer and kelly lynch and brian keith and it was an amazing opportunity it was a big it was a big job because he wanted it was basically film parodies commercial parodies t- it was tv so they really wanted it to be realistic and film wise it looked like a real film and not just a video of it, it really seemed real you know and uh, that was a challenge we did it and i'm very happy with it uh but he he died shortly after filming the cerebral hemorrhage um, so that really never made it anywhere it was just fantastic to have the opportunity to work with him because he, he was fantastic he was hilarious you know deadpan some people say i'm up there with him as deadpan but uh it was great 
Yeah, did were you like a fan of the stuff that both uh, he and Ann Beats did on the National Lampoon Radio Hour? Oh yeah, yeah, I love that. I didn't, I didn't know their specific contributions, but yeah, that's one of the big things I, I listened to. Actually, I hear that he was he worked for wrote for Mad Magazine before that, so he would have been a big influence because that Mad Magazine. I, I I thank my mother to this day for allowing me to get a subscription to that. But I heard he was on that, so he, he's. He was a big influence, a big you know, powerhouse. So you also were doing a documentary on Ann Beat. Ann was one of the original writers of Saturday Night Live. Because Blushy, it's been noted, he said, publicly say women aren't funny. But also had this kind of, also a tender like relationship with Ann. Did you experience any of that? Not really. Uh, yeah, I really had, had no idea what was going on. As I, say, I kind of kind of parachuted into this kind of family, really. So I didn't know anything about that then, really. I, I never, I, I, I didn't see any kind of display of that. But then again, everyone's moving around. There's different floors. There's the studio. So I'm not going to doubt that Belushi could have uh, rubbed somebody wrong. <laughs> Do you have any favorite sketches that Anne wrote? You know, I'm trying to, I, it's hard to really pick out. I tell you, I, 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 a lot of times I really didn't know who wrote the sketches. Can you name some? <laughs> like, I, I can tell you what I thought of them. Right? She did the... Commercial parody Speed, The Housewife on Speed. Oh, yeah, that was good. Did this have anything to do with pine-scented um, gas additive to make <laughs> gas fumes smell better <laughs> and gild it down the tailpipe, you know, like fresh mint. <laughs> People collaborated a lot with each other, so they'd go off in their rooms, and so it was really difficult for me to keep track. In fact, a lot of times I, I had to go I go back to my home and, and deal with a burned Mr. Bill set that I'd left, you know, um, the last shoot. So it, it was a lot of confusion. I mean, well, I seemed to kind of know what I was, or at least try to stay track of what I was doing. And how, how would the sets burn? Total accident. No, I was actually in the script, unfortunately. I say the, I'm trying to think of the burn set. Yeah, well, I'd have the, well, the classic one is he gets burned because he's got, on the beach and Mr. Hands puts some suntan lotion, but it's actually lighter fluid on his back and then holds a magnifying glass and, and he's in a ball of flame. It was, I probably went too far. I'll admit it. A ball of Mr. Bill flaming. It wasn't too gruesome, I don't think. And how did Mr. Bill evolve from, you know, start to finish in the uh, just SNL years? Well, mainly when, when, when Lawrence said he wanted like 10 films, and that was the fourth season. Then I did another 10, the fifth season. Uh, I, I knew I had to, I, I, I didn't want to just keep doing the, the same skit, you know, like go through the motions. So the side, he needed a, a, an arc, a life path to go on a journey just so I could kind of move the story and the character along. So he got his house burned down in one. So he had to, well, first he tried to run away. He's hitchhiking. Once he's kind of suspicious that Mr. Hands isn't his best friend, he tries, and Mr., of course, Mr. Hands picks him up hitchhiking. And then he's going to do his all-new Mr. Bill show in the fifth season without Mr. Hands and none of those people. But then he shows up, of course, and his, then he, goes, his, his, he stays home. His house burns down. Then he's in a trailer park building a new house. And then he's on Skid Row, and he has to see a psychiatrist. So I, I tried to give it a big overall story. And at the end of the, the last show that we all did together, which was the end of the fifth season, he wound up in prison. So happy ending. <laughs> Leavenworth for life. <laughs> and what do you think Lauren kind of contributed to the evolution? Was it just like his notes 
or just giving you the freedom to do what you wanted. Yeah, it was a free. Yeah, he, he really. As I say, I mean, it's it's. I'm pretty spoiled to have like a producer, someone just tell you to do your thing and uh, not interfere. I, I don't mind people contributing, but I mean, I, I generally don't have time to just do it the one way I'm thinking of much less, but really giving me the freedom and the, the long term made me think of, I, I got to evolve a story into this rather than just keep doing the same skit each time that would have run out. So some of the skits had a tradition of just repeating the same things each time and which is okay but then kind of runs out of steam so i wanted that kind of real life actually my my cousins they their house had burned down and they were living in a trailer park and it really did give me kind of an influence so i'm, I'm taking things from around me and actually making it up as i go so that was a time when like uh, the writers would also have be in sketches a lot like weren't you on the very last episode as here's the new cast <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. Lauren is a brilliant guy, by the way, because he uh, decides to end the show and clears out the whole, clear cleared everybody out, you know. And uh, it was pretty smart. And he came back later, but so it was the last show we were all gonna do together. He had already announced that we were gonna the fifth season was it. Buck Henry was the he, he hosted every first and last show of each season. And he came out and said, well, you may have heard that NBC is letting every, the staff go, that, that they're going to let us all go. But don't worry, because we're going to replace them with a crack, new, fresh, young comics trained by, I think, some some comedian like from his comedy camp. And so they brought us out, and I was one of the new cast members, supposedly, for the next season. Uh, Gary Lipton and had a little tuxedo t-shirt on it. So Buck Henry says, um, not only is this you know, is Gary Lipton a, a fine comedian, but he's also quite a musician. And, and my line is, yeah, I can get a sound out of 60 different instruments. And then he was supposed to have another line in dress rehearsal, and he had another line to that. So I say, and, and yeah, I can get a sound out of 60 instruments, and I'm waiting for the next line which had been cut and I, no one told me that line was cut and I'm standing there <laughs> and then okay so like my reaction was like uh it, it was all spontaneous whatever you saw in that tape and I, I was like oh my god I'm like he's not answering me you know I'm on stage I'm waiting so I just go and then, and then kind of shake my hands and and go off and got a laugh just like but because people thought I was waiting for a response from getting a sound out of 60 different instruments <laughs> at least that's that's what i think got the big laugh because i was waiting for them to react to the praise that i can get a sound out of 60 instruments with no reaction and then... i haven't really watched primetime tv since green acres my which is actually a great show actually green acres kind of had it it's a classic fish out of water story yeah it's kind of influenced uh eddie albert on green acres is just surrounded by everyone torturing him and it's kind of a mr bill type character uh, i love that show any other influences on mr bill other than green acres probably uh maybe the kennedy assassination uh the threat of world war three Mr. Bingle, who was kind of a local 
in New Orleans, a local little puppet character. It's all cutesy. He never got hurt or anything. But so I said, take that. He, he deserves it. People want mine if he gets roughed up because he was just too cute, you know. And uh, I just had, you know, I just got the idea from the bad animation. And uh, after that, it's just about trying to come up with a joke, you know, that works. And I, I have no meaning in it. There's no message. People have analyzed it, told me that, is that supposed to mean this? And I have, no, I just trying to make it funny. And, uh, and they kept asking me for more. So that was a, that was my goal. It's been quite a saga. I mean, it's it's changed. After Saturday Night Live, I knew it's not going to be that way and like that. So I, I went out to L.A. for a while and tried to conform. To, and that didn't, that, I mean, I did a lot of like short films or TV shows, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I went home in like 2000 to visit my mom to spend some time with her. She's getting a little old and thought I'd do some documentaries in New Orleans. I'd be a good place to do something about the art and the music and everything. But then when I got down there, I, I realized the whole coast had disappeared since I'd left. And uh, I started doing some research and uh, then I decided, well, maybe I can make some documentaries about this. And I used Mr. Bill. It was the destruction of the wetlands was really the problem. So I did these 10 public service announcements with Mr. Bill. I wasn't paid anything, but it was something I could use the character for in a good way. They're all very funny and cute, but they were like public service announcements. In fact, when I kind of got the idea, when I was a kid, there was a campaign about people throwing out trash. And there's one where they throw the trash out in front of a Native American in a canoe and have a big tear in his eye. And then they made this, after these started showing these public service announcements after a while, people stopped throwing trash out of the car in front of Native Americans. And it's supposed to be a joke, I'm sorry. No, anyway, <laughs> I, um, anyway I, I was inspired to try to push the message of the, the disappearing coast because New Orleans was right in the bullseye with the coast missing. There's nothing to protect it from the hurricanes. And this was all scientifically being discovered. And I tried to bring this out. In fact, the year before Katrina hit, one of his things, he's on his roof because of a hurricane, because of the missing wetlands. And it was kind of, it was like a precursor to, he was on CNN and even the the uh, weather people talked about what a disaster scenario that could be if a hurricane such as Katrina would hit. So so then I got involved in the whole recovery of New Orleans. And then I realized it was the oil companies that did the damage to the wetlands that exploited the area, sucking all that oil up and the oil boom de-escalated the whole landscape. And so the land actually sunk below water level. So I went on a mission to get legal help to try to hold the oil companies accountable to pay the money to restore the wetlands, which are the natural barrier. And actually, one of the people I tried to get help from was RFK Jr., uh, since he had done the Hudson River cleanup, and he, he wasn't interested. I finally got in the hands of someone who was actually able to start a, a lawsuit, which has now progressed into all the parishes have lawsuits against them. And they're, they're actually arriving in court, and people are starting to settle with the idea of all this money is going to go into restoring the wetlands and in order to do that it's just basically cutting the holes in the levee and letting the fresh water go back out in the areas grow vegetation it's kind of happening now it's, it's like 20 years later 
So my job was done getting it into the legal hands. I, I retired from comedy. I just realized that as I was getting older, I just wasn't that funny anymore. You know, so I, I mean, comedy is really for young people. And uh, I don't think about taking Prevagen. That was a joke. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I like, I like jokes. <laughs> And where, like, say, 100 years from now, where would you like to say Mr. Bill's place is in comedy history? Uh, I don't know. I never really thought about that. You know, just uh, I just like the idea that I'm able to do something and give people enjoyment. I mean, I, that's the most gratifying of all. And they don't know my face. <laughs> they don't know. You know I'm, not, I'm not like a celebrity that brings this joy to people, but they all they all want more and they can recognize the person and Whereas I don't really talk about it, and most people wouldn't guess. He's got a lot of fans who they still have fond memories, and that was really one of my goals. Was after Saturday Night Live, I knew I never really have a necessarily have an audience that big, where everyone stayed home and saw it. So I just wanted to preserve the good times, the good feelings from the past, and if something came up and a project that sounded like it would add to that, I'll take it. And if not, I'm happy to just to kind of let people remember it because he, if you do something kind of bad they figure oh i was on drugs back then you know it really wasn't funny so i can't really answer that but so far it's, it's been it's been a long time since i've really done much and people s still seem to like them Walter, it was really great talking to you. I really appreciate your time. Thank and, you. and I just, I, I love the stories. And yeah, it was just really great to meet well, you. Anytime, I'm here. So thank you very much and take care. Bye, Bye. Bye. And that wraps up our episode today on the CH101 Select on the history of Mr. Bill with Walter Williams. Remember, as always, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on comedy history 101 and we will read your comments right here on the podcast such as this comment here from a crawfjord on the history of the andrew dice clay controversy crawfjord writes he ain't wrong don't believe me look at the internet tough guy above opting for violence over some words yeah, okay, thank you, Crawford, for your comments on the history of the Andrew Dice Clay controversy. And remember, on February 23rd, 7 p.m., at the Red Room above the KGB bar, I'll be presenting my show, Tale, NYC's Finest Storytelling, and, of course, on Friday, March 8th, 7 p.m., at the People's Improv Theater, come out and see AI versus human roast battle and until next time bye bye you're stupid everybody's so stupid i'm trying to use the phone excuse me comedy history 101